Welcome back to the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast. Uh, this week, something different, as I'm joined by two previous hosts in what people are calling, well, mostly me, the crossover of the century. Yes, this week we have a couple of dreamers, schemers, and they even watched an episode of Arena. It is uh, Al Henderson and Eamon Clark. Hello, guys. Greetings. Uh, hi, Tony. How you doing? Good. Good, thank you. Um, how have you both been? I just assumed that I've been invited along to be the witness tonight because um, you know you, <laughs> you wanted to prove that, that this was all for educational purposes only and, and research. Well, and, uh, and, and I'm the, the additional colleague to, to make sure that, that it stays clean. Yes, yeah. always. That's why I always get you along, Alan. Yeah, yeah. Designated adult in the room, almost like the vicar of the podcast. I think sometimes you know the moral, you know the moral, the moral superiority around what we should be saying, which is not your case at all. But um, how have you both been? Have you been buying loads of comics? Or? Yes, I suppose. Um, the usual monthly or weekly runs for, for that, and then one or two other things from the, the old EB front, including one of the the best books I've had in a long time, featuring Superman in 200,000 different combinations in oh. a flip book. So, oh, you showed yeah, me that. Yeah, that flip that. book was very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be something. Break that one out. Yeah, what about you, Eamon? Yeah, um, buying, I'm I'm managing to buy digital comics through the Comicsology Disaster Zone, and uh, yeah, getting a few books turning up at the front door with the you know, usual disapproving looks. But um, yeah, <laughs> and ordering stuff on eBay for uh, upcoming episodes. Oh, so, good stuff. Now, did you use to watch? Good fun because I know obviously now you're a um, you're a pensioner, so you've had to you know the moats the moats you know been drained drained but, yeah. Have you got? Uh, did you used to get books turn up at your work, or did you sort of hide them in the office and stuff like I do? Uh, yeah, they used to turn up mostly at work. It was great, great place to have them delivered to because then you know I can sneak them home. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the book that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, yeah, I had to sneak this one in, and uh, not so <laughs> sure about reading it in bed with the wife next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, let's let's get on to that because I've got a feeling we've got a lot to talk about on this one. Um, so. We're going to do this as a roundtable, and we've picked a creator and a book. So, Eamon, could you tell us who the creator is? Yeah, we're going to be doing a deep dive on probably the underground comic uh, creator that everybody's heard of. We're doing a deep dive on Robert Crumb today. Brilliant. The time has come. Yes. And to focus in on a single book we thought would be helpful. So, Al, you chose the book, didn't you? What did you choose for us? I did. I chose The Book of Mr. Natural, which is the Fantagraphics um, reprint collecting a number of the short stories featuring one of his um, primary characters, Mr. Natural, um, that every, again, well-recognised in, in, in mass media. Um, and it's strips that cover everything from 1967 through to 1991. Yes. Um, I didn't realise it had been reprinted so many times. Um it's over since I think about ninety five. This book has been in, in existence. Um, in, in in I'm guessing this kind of format, they just repackaged it or something. But yeah, I th yeah. think the original version would have been Kitchen Sink Press. But um, okay, or certainly there's a lot, of, lot of crumb. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. A lot yeah, of crumb yeah. stuff was done through Kitchen Sink. So yeah, at that, at that sort of period when you know when you, when yeah, Mr. Dennis Natural. Kitchen was picking up all that sort of. Um, and he still does a lot of comics um, books in terms of his his website yeah. and all that. And we just off mic, we were just talking about the New York Comic Con, and he's got a great table at that. Mm. 
um, always worth a visit. Yeah, um, it's a it's a really nice book. I think it's um, 126 pages, oversized hardback. Um, only nineteen ninety nine dollars wise. That's good value, isn't it? Yeah, no, I love the production. Some of his books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was one of the reasons why I chose this book as the, as the book to, to go for was because I think it's only fourteen pounds on, on Amazon, and um, and it is. It's not apparently it's not the complete Mr. Natural. There are, right. are strips of his yeah. that are, are not in the book, but it, it is a, a self-contained element, um, and it's not one of the sketchbooks that are done in the the Tashin style of, of super hard covers, yeah. um, with uh, with super prices. So it was uh, a, you know it was a good choice from that perspective, just being yeah. contained within itself. Yeah, and it, and it spans a certain amount of history as well, which I'm sure we're talking about. Just before we begin, um, for those of a sensitive nature, and I know. Um, there are people critical of crumb and we will probably have criticisms ourselves um there will be a discussion about a variety of sort of i don't know how to refer to them possibly troublesome subjects um of violence sexual violence sex uh, misanthropy you know you name it uh an ism it's probably going to be something contained in the books of um mr crumb um and the quote that i took from the book is are you out of your mind well yes and no which i think was a great little quote um so should we start with you Eamon where would where did you first discover crumb can you remember so i was trying to work it out i was going to pull out the amazing heroes um magazines that i used to get in the 80s because i was buying i mean you know like yourself i was buying just american and british comics yeah and i'm by american i was buying the big you know the big two mostly and i think it was articles that i would read in amazing heroes about and I'm going to get, you know, this is where I got a bit confused about Omaha, the cat dancer. Right. And about the trouble that comic got into and how comic shops were people, you know, people were getting arrested for selling that comic. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I got it confused with Fritz the Cat, which is a Robert Crumb creation, which yeah. we'll probably talk about. Um, and then I sort of started to work out, you know, this is different. This is Robert Crumb. And I bought a couple of issues of American Splendor Actually, I think were the only ones I could get hold of, and I'm pretty sure I got them in the Forbidden Planet in Denmark Street. Okay, um, and we'll talk about that perhaps later on as well because that had some Robert Crumb art in it. But I think also, I'm sure everybody will say this: the sort of keep on trucking guy and the stoned guy whose face melts. Yeah, um, those images are sort of they've been everywhere, haven't they? We've all seen those, yeah. I guess. So I think it was that. I don't think I was actually. Well, I certainly wasn't actively seeking out his comics. I think I became aware of him through the controversy, basically. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I found the um, the Stoned Again original artwork was for sale on Heritage. I actually saw it in New York in 2019, and it's um, $690,000. There you go. It's not bad, is it? Um, Which was more than the estimate on that This Man, This Monster splash page of The Thing by Jack Kirby that you and I talked about. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about you, Al? Where did you first discover his work or come across it? Can you remember? Or so, well, I, so similar to him in there. I think I I remember getting or seeing more of things like the Fabulous Freak Brothers and um, Frat Freddy's Cat, and actually meeting Gilbert Sheldon um, at Bristol yeah, in the Comic Cons back back yeah. in the day, and actually sort of realizing that there were other things around that, and um, through um, the knockabout comics and the and the, the work there, and, and actually realizing that yes, there were other things, and that, you know, so that was probably more the sort of the gateway of getting into 
comics with an X and actually seeing that, that you know, the again, the big things that you recognise, they keep on trucking and the like. But the other thing I remember distinctly in the back of my mind is the Devil Girl chocolate bars that oh, Kitchen right. Sick Press put out and then existing in Forbidden Planet in Edinburgh and nobody ever buying them. And, <laughs> you know, and it, it, there was a bunch of things that sort of fell into that category. And I, so I wasn't really reading his his books certainly wasn't you know collecting any of his stuff but i knew of his, his existence and knew of him more as i probably didn't recognize the fact that he was producing still producing new material at that point and actually saw him very much as a counterculture 1960s character or artist um and didn't really put it all together until much much later okay yeah i mean to me he's always i always i've always thought of him as being some old dude yeah, you know, even when he was young, he kind of looked a bit old, didn't he? Yeah. You know. um, I think for me, he was, like you say, whenever you picked up comics with an X, um, he, there seemed to be something from him in it. Um, mm. And I always just spotted these little stories here and there. I think I'd bought some Zap. Um, I'd bought some Weirdo, which were magazines that he edited and appeared in. And, you know, I mean, Zap was the sort of earlier thing and Weirdo happened later on. Um, but I've always, I always sort of saw him in that, and then I think like you, Eamon, I saw him in American Splendor. Now he's played by someone. He doesn't like his interpretation in the movie, does he? Um, he's, he's, no, uh, and his his wife says that she doesn't recognise the uh, the character portrayed in the American Splendor movie as Robert Crumb. She just, you know, she said if he'd been like that, I'd never have married him. So, <laughs> and although they do have what they both describe of as uh, an open relationship, okay, um, now. When you first saw him, Eamon, do you remember being struck with his style or what did you think about him in those early days of reading his stuff? Anything I think I've, I think I've mentioned this before, that this is, this is, you know, you two guys have mentioned comics with an X at the end, that this is sweaty men, the, the faces of sweaty men, and men with furrowed brows that are sort of wrinkled up and sweat is flying off them and they're stressed and harassed about something, about some indignity or... Uh, some discomfort, you know, that's what I associate with Robert Crumb and that sort of, uh, those underground comics um, of that period. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm flicking through this book and not Mr. Natural, the other character, Flaky Funt is, or how do you say his name? Flaky Funt. Yeah, that's what yeah, I've been saying yeah. in my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a sweaty man. He's always uh, in terrible angst and uh, um, beside himself. So yeah, that's, that's what I associate with Crumb, that sort of um, the faces, the sweaty underground comics men. And now, you know, we might get a chance to talk about some of his other artwork that I've been looking at, which is is remarkably different. But anyway, yeah, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think when I used to see his stuff, I used to think, because when you, you know, all, you know, I mean, I mean well when I say this, not everything in underground comics is particularly readable, especially not to a 14-year-old boy, you know. So when I was looking at some of this stuff mm. that was just a bit all over the place... Um, he his his style was more readable in those underground magazines than a lot of other stuff. Is that something you'd agree with, Al? Yes, and I think it, so. It, to me, it was all it, it's a refined childishness in, in terms of the way it sort of describes yeah. art. Yeah, it's good. certainly early on stuff, and I can see a degree of it's probably not actual connections. It's just what we're used to seeing. There, there's something between him and Leo Baxendale. Yeah. That's, or a, good, Dudley, that's a good Dudley, line, man. Yeah. I've never thought you know, of that. Or before. Dudley D. Yeah. Watkins, yeah. you know, and 
I don't think they. I don't think he was necessarily inspired, or they were inspired by each other. But you, in terms of the readability that we have from a UK perspective, because you're so used to reading the Bash Street Kids or whatever thing, you know, or something like that, where it is a set of grotesque characters um, or heavily caricatured characters at times, it makes sense in terms of the reading of it. And you're, you're right. The to me, the crumb piece is is it's very refined and and you know sort of looking at it now in terms of you know the artistic hatchings and all that sort of stuff, it you know it's very well done and very well drawn, so it's very clean in terms of actually looking at it. Um, but I think for as I say, from, to, when I was getting into it initially, it's not necessarily a subject. It certainly wasn't a subject matter that I wanted to read twenty years ago. Um, yeah, that that would you know was saying, oh, yeah, I must spend money on this when when money was limited. The but but I did see that I would understand it and I could actually interpret what he was trying to get across in terms of the artwork. So while some of the other more underground comics just seemed a lot more rough and unable to, you know, necessarily make it what they you know, the the artist was just putting it out there to get it out there, while yeah. Crumb clearly has much more technique and much more style. Yeah, I agree. I think Possibly one of the reasons I read it was, I think I, before we came on air, I told you I'm going to refer to it as the Derek and Clive effect. Do you guys remember Derek and Clive? Yeah. Everybody had the tapes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we all <laughs> had the tape. And it was just them sort of swearing a lot and saying they'd have sex with a crack in the pavement if they could and all this sort of thing, wasn't it? You know, yeah. and they were clearly pissed. And um, I, I, I think maybe I read Crumb a little bit like that because, oh, look, they had boobs sometimes in the early days you know i didn't quite see any kind of subtlety to it and i think that's i think that's is often his appeal and i'm probably going to say in maybe the early days people picking up would have liked it for that reason because comics certainly in the mid 60s weren't like that were they you know or in the the multitude of comics weren't no Um, but that that's where underground comics or what they were trying to do is to do all the things that you can't do in comics without an x if you like Uh, and to say, you know, this is sex, drugs, and, and rock and roll, and have a degree of youthful rebellion that, that comes with it. Where, and, and sometimes with it, certainly in the early early parts of this book, it, it, it tries too hard just to be rebellious for the sake of it, I think, at times. Okay. You know, and there's a bit of you going there, well, yeah, a teenager would find that amusing or funny, but. Or you know, or somebody you know, it, it's like kids and fart jokes type thing. You know, where it's yeah. like, yeah, but where's the sophistication though? You know, um, and that that's what I think we need to remember though that if it's trying to be an underground comic, it was definitely trying to do things that you could not do anywhere else. Yeah, and that's why it was being pushed underground. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about Mister Natural to start with. When we're gonna we're gonna go in and talk a little bit about Crumb himself, and then I've got some questions for you as well around it. But um, Mr. Natural, a.k.a. Fred Natural, a.k.a. Mr. Natural, the Zen Master, first appeared in something called Yarrow Stalks, May 1967. First comics appearance, however, was Zap Comics number one, um, which was actually meant to be the second issue. But the first issue, which eventually came out as issue zero, kind of went missing and there was all kinds of dramas around that. Um, Prior to his first appearance, he he was also seen in a number of underground newspapers, the East Village Other and the village voice um uh, he also appeared in later on and he also appeared in a number of other comics including uh, bid you funnies and yellow dog um and later appearing in hup 
um, hub actually and uh, from last gasp you, and you can you, you can find quite cheaply on ebay and stuff and then in 1997 in mystic funnies um it's who is who do you think mr natural is to you Eamon? does he does he strike you as anyone in particular or is he is he just this character that changes throughout the book what do you think he's the he's a little zen master a little sort of bald guy with a long white beard and a long white robe who's supposed to deliver uh i don't know philosophical insights for the man in the street and he's a weird little cartoony character he's like papa smurf i guess isn't he yeah i actually think he changes a bit because he at first i thought is he meant to be this this sort of proper guru and then i kind of think no he's this because there must have been hucksters and shysters about the time who were conning people by pretending to be zen gurus as well so there's an element of that and then i kind of then i begin to think is he an actual innocent and then i begin to think is he meant to be crumb his character almost changes a little bit as you go along do you think i think that i think it all you know the 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 strip matures as the book this this collection progresses yeah i mean both the art improves and i think the sort of things he does with mr natural um it jumps off a bit of a cliff towards the end of the book which we're going to get to um but yeah i mean is he the author himself is he one of these uh, as you say san francisco in the late 60s there must have been dozens of of them around um including you know manson i guess um uh but yeah you know like a fake huckster type chap what about you al yeah so i I think it's part of this is possibly overlaying thoughts in retrospect but it's it's a commentary on the gurus of the 1960s and that were they charlatans were they just money grabbing cult leaders were they sexual predators and you know because there's a bit of all of that where you're kind of like saying is that what mr natural is you know so while at the same time he's just presented as a funny little character but there's all these undertones lying underneath i also think it's you know it ends up being an examination of the power of personality and how somebody with a strong personality can drive other individuals, primarily flaky, to question themselves and do things that they you know that that's encounter to their own um, their own benefit. Um, you know, because the, the, the way that he can can turn flaky from being a happy person at some points to then you know moving away from his family and actually getting involved with the, you know, the devil girl stuff. The, there's a whole thing there, but, you know, that it's, it's purely brought down to the power of the personality of, of Mr. Natural that, that, that drives him to, to do those things. Um, and some of that becomes very precedent in, in, in today's world about saying, you know, are there Mr. Naturals who are the, the social media influencers? Yeah. Uh, They're creating some of the polarization in the world, but, you know, and you know the book's not serving that up on a plate, but it is perhaps that that thing about you know where where does the power sit, and how does he how does he get across that ability to turn him, himself from saying yeah I've not got any money, but if I can I can make myself get some money by, or I can get the girls just by by being me and doing my thing because he, he's a he's a man he's a he's a hypocritical man of you know he goes on about you know Zen and you know meditation and he goes off and buys a hamburger doesn't he you know yeah. after stealing someone's money. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? It's I know he. I heard an interview today from Crum where he said, "I don't work in conscious messages. I just work it out as I go along." Um, and I, I sometimes wonder if we perhaps 
draw a little bit too much of a hidden meaning from crumb work crumbs work yeah that, um, that that's what i'm saying about you know with retrospect am i overlaying yeah. too many things to it but yeah it's an interesting point of view um what about flaky Funt, Eamon? is he is he us to start with and then changes or what do you think happens He's a he's a crummian uh, everyman. He's a bit like his other character. I think he's called White Man, isn't he? He's yeah. um, he's supposed to be the everyman. He's supposed to be us. He's got the sort of um, suburban uh, worries and anxieties, and he's always trying to get you know to feel better and to get what we would now call, I guess, well being. Yeah. And looking for answers with the guru. I mean, you know, he's nicely he's nicely delineated by Crumb. Uh, it's good cartooning. Uh, uh, I've got some pages here. That, you know, he's again. He's got his face is all screwed up in anger. There's the t- typical flying droplets of sweat. Yeah, he's us. I think, isn't he? He's supposed to be. I think so. I think he certainly starts off as being the everyman, the straight man, doesn't he? You know, to this sort of weirdo character. Um, I do think halfway through, because the, the, the book shows a n- quite a number of strips from the 60s and 70s, and then there's a jump from 73 to 86. Um, and I actually think once you get past that jump, the artwork um, improves, I think. It's always very different in any way. Um, but it becomes almost, there's almost a nastier edge to it somehow, to me. Do you guys think that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think it, it gets much nastier. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... Some of the there's a whole thing about this book that I thought it was going to be funnier than it actually is. Yeah, right. There are some brilliant one or two panels that are really really funny, and but you're right. It, there there is a sort of halfway through the book it just turn and that there is that and nastiness is, is a great way to put that, and it has a much more of an edge to it. Yeah. And well, there is sexual content early on. It, it, you know, it, obviously towards the end of the book it becomes very graphic god yeah. Um, yeah it almost becomes um there's a crime on every page in the last bit of the book isn't there yeah a sex yeah. crime book yes. on every page yeah, yeah. um well uh, let's pause there in that because we're going to come back and i think we're going to start asking maybe some more difficult questions um once we do that but i thought we might just um for a second glance into the history of robert crumb just give it a sort of an overview uh born in the on the 30th of august 1943 in philadelphia born into a broadly catholic family environment um his father charles crumb was an illustrator um and he grew up with two brothers and two sisters at the age of 12 the family moved to a town called milford in delaware um and as kids robert and his brothers would make their own comics um Crumb was influenced at the time by Mad Magazine, which became a big influence on him, and uh, they attempted to ape that style. Now, you can buy these comics, can't you? I think if you've got enough money, I think they've had the kayfabe effect on them, but they've actually published these in a hardback, haven't they? Have you guys seen that? Um, yeah, I think because I've got the first the first volume of The Complete Crumb, and it's got some of those very early uh, family comics that they did, him and his brother, Charles, Um yeah, very sort of primitive kids type comics. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, not too bad. You know, I mean that you could, I could probably see them on a few small press tables at Thought Bubble. You know that you know, <laughs> but uh, apart from some of the content. Um, so, in his early professional work, he worked um, at a greeting cards company, um, American Greetings from Cleveland, and this he lasted there for four years, believe it or not. So, quite a long time. Uh, even in his own admissions, he kept getting stuff rejected for not being quite right and looking a bit weird. Um, and I think occasionally you can buy cards on eBay. 
They're quite expensive, but occasionally someone finds something that's so clearly crumbs. You can buy one. I think there's one on eBay at the moment, actually. Um, whilst in Cleveland, he became friendly with another cartoonist, uh, other cartoonists, including Harvey Pekar, um, as, as we've seen in the film. Has anyone ever watched actual Harvey Pekar being interviewed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's class, isn't he? Isn't he mental? <laughs> yeah. He's great. Hey. Great American uh, misanthrope and uh, uh, what's the word? Autodidact, self-educated um, sort of seer and philosopher. Yeah. Um, Nineteen sixty-five. Harvey Kurtzman printed some of his own work, some of his work in Help. Um, this caused Crumb to move to New York City. But other than Tops trading trading cards, there wasn't much doing. He got married. He regrets it and says he got married too early and married a lady by the name of Dana Morgan, his first wife, and the pair travelled around. Um, he basically, um, for a man who, who who dresses a bit like Seth, you know, before long before Seth, he dresses very smartly. You know, he, he does look like he plays in a jazz band and he often wears a hat. He just decided to give it all up and travel to um, San Francisco. He'd heard about the the height, the hate Asprey drugs, you know, LSD scene back at the time, and he he actually took LSD prior to leaving. Um, LSD at the time was illegal in America. Um, you had a number, you know, even you know, these books have written about the CIA and the government experimenting using LSD on people and stuff. Um, and he took it, and then he de- he decided just to leave. So he left his missus um, and just got on a bus and went to got got in a car and travelled to San Francisco. And two weeks later, according to him, he rang his missus and apologised, and she came down and joined him. Um, which I found strange. He talks about that a lot, doesn't he? That seems to be covered in virtually every interview he talks about. Is that have you guys heard about that? Yeah, because I think that was clearly one of oh, the, yeah. the major life-defining moments for him. That yeah, I think he got a lot of inspiration from that as well. I think, and but, I think obviously he surrounded himself with people once he got to San Francisco as well. That 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 kicked off a lot of everything that came after. Yeah, yeah, and he. Um, he divorced Dana eventually, and he created some of his most famous and notorious characters during that time um, uh, when he was he was on a trip. And he's had a number of bad and a number of good trips, but he created Mr. Natural, we're talking about Angel Food McSpade, um, uh, um, and a character called yeah. Snoid. Yeah. Um, 1967, he, he, he created um, Zap Began. Um, and I think he, he really sort of found his feet with Zap. Um, also met S. Clay Wilson. And the pair became friends and mutual inspirations. Um, by the third issue of Zap, Gilbert Shelton had joined the gang. I know you mentioned him, Al, and we we both met him. He's he's a cracking cartoonist, Gilbert. Um, and Crumb became almost like a face of the you know hippie culture, but being outside the party in many ways. Do you? Think? I don't see him as a hippie at all. Do you? He never thought of himself as a hippie, even when he's living in Haight Ashbury. He's taking LSD, he's drawing and creating weird uh, underground comics, but he never saw himself as part of that scene. Although you would find him and his wife on the street corner selling their comics, wouldn't you, from the pram, I believe. That's right. Yeah, he talks about it. Now, there's um, the Terry Zwigoff movie is very good for for learning a bit about him. Um, I was... um, Who's that Canadian psychologist who's always getting in the shit and telling people jordan peterson jordan peterson that's him yeah well i i saw this thing it said jordan peterson talks about crumb um and it's like a two minute video and i watched it today and it's basically jordan peterson saying if you want to know what a psychopath or a rapist is like watch the video of crumb's brother um in that that movie 
Um, and that's that's a really interesting movie, um, which we've we've all watched recently. You've seen it. Yeah. You've seen it recently, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Available on YouTube for those that wish to. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and the other one that you found, Eamon, was the um, Arena, um, which I referenced in the intro, which is as good, I think. Yeah, I mean, he wrote the script for that himself. He did an Arena film for the BBC in 1987, The Confessions of Robert Crumb, um, and I mean, uh, the one thing we can say about Robert Crumb. Uh, possibly as a result of his acid experiences in the 60s, but he has no secrets. It's all yeah. it's all out there. He he puts it out there himself, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, which makes you wonder if there's anything else going on. Um, I know. Yeah, we've we've had a we've had a strange week um, this week because we've all sort of um, watched a lot of crumb stuff, read a lot of crumb stuff. And we've also watched the Savile documentary as well. Oh, God, yeah, I think we do. I think yeah. next week we'll just do a Mickey Mouse cartoon or something. You know, be uh, be a lot healthier for ourselves. But yeah, there's a lot of um, quite. His brother basically says he abuses women in the street. Um, it's it's a very strange that that crumb the Terry Zwigoff film is very strange, isn't it? But I, it's a it's a difficult watch, and that yeah. because of the you know the again a lot of them you're like going. Oh, this is real. This is not caricature. You, you know, and it's the you're thinking. Well, you know, if somebody put this as a character in a film, I wouldn't believe it. Type thing. But you're suddenly going, no. Where, where, where is the lines in some of this in terms of the the degree of reality that comes with it? Yeah, yeah. And I think they were friends. They'd been friends for a long time. I think Zwigoff and him, hadn't they? And I think that's why we got um, Siska and Eber. Is that the the American reviewers? They they say you you won't see a better documentary. Right, which is which is interesting. I mean, it's fascinating, but it is it is as you say, a difficult watch at times. And they are a deeply weird family. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't go around the house for dinner, would you? There's a Texas no. chainsaw element to it all. Um, yeah. Right. So what I thought we could do now is we we could pick some bits from um, the book we've chosen, Mister Natural Book, and through that we'll probably examine a little bit how we feel about his art and and how we like or dislike his art from that and we can sort of jump off from that i think did you guys should start with you al did you have any favorite moments in the book any sort strips or sections or passages or anything that you really liked so as, as i say to me there was a there's some very good individual panels or individual um, elements yeah. so page 20 is your first big slap in the face which is the because that's the first time it just completely turns on a dial because you've got this whole thing about um, yeah, yeah. Beatnik culture, and there's all the you know who is the real Mister Natural, and it turns out that he's actually having sex with somebody else down the bottom of the yeah. page, and it's not you know. But I've written actually, that in my the notes. Top... First time you see it, <laughs> let's call her a big bone lady. Um, here we go. Yeah, page Off twenty, running, yeah. yeah. But but actually, the panel at the top of page twenty one shows the quality of the draftsmanship. Yeah. Um. So it's it's uh, it happens to be Mister Natural sat behind the desk with his feet up on the desk, holding a newspaper. And there's just so much in that one panel. So it takes up about half of the page. Um, that, you know, it, to me, that's that thing saying, this is good, solid quality art. That, you know, and it's then, where, where does he want to go with that in terms of the storytelling that perhaps makes it interesting? So, but from an art perspective, that's when it starts to get good for me. Um, or really good from the, from the top of the page. You've got that cross-hatching in the background and at the edges of the panels and stuff, which we hadn't really seen prior to that. Um, he yeah. uses it almost as a... He does this a lot with his um, portraits. He uses it almost as a panel border, doesn't he, in that initial... 
yeah. Mr. Natural panel there on page 21. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I said this to Pete Dory recently, we were chatting about him and I said, look, I've, I really like his line. I really like the style of art that he has. I can't always stomach what he writes about or draws, but the actual the actual line he puts down on a page, I think, is is gorgeous. I think that's part of his attraction. Um, what about you, Eamon? Any sections you particularly liked or wanted to talk about? Or uh, well, let's turn to page thirty-four, Mister Natural's seven hundred nineteenth meditation. Ah, I had this one too. Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd probably both get this one. This is a three-pager showing him sitting on his mat in the middle of a desert meditating. And it's similar to another Robert Crumb piece where he sort of does the uh, evolution of America by showing a street corner that starts out as trees and woods and develops into a city. And here you get the impression that Mr. Natural is the real deal in terms of his meditation because a sort of city sort of rises and falls around him during this time he's meditating. And it's all this sort of single, um, you know, the single image of him just sitting there on his mat, cross-legged meditating, uh, quite sort of repetitive in a way. Um, but, it, I mean, you know, it's lovely. It's sort of great cartooning, isn't it? It's good fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and multiple panels. He does that multiple panel thing a lot, doesn't he? We, he does pack often a lot of panels into a page. Um, it does take you a while to read through some pages, but this, is, as you say, is like pretty wordless. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you spotted that, man. I was I was going to mention that because this is a pick I'd made. Um, comparing it to that, so it's almost like a famous print of his, isn't it? That shows yeah. the passage of time on a on a street corner and everything appearing. And yeah, yeah. This this is one of the the Guardian pages, if you like, for me because yeah. it's yeah. This is you know this this could equally be appear in the Guardian today, um, because it's it, you know, this is actually proper storytelling that doesn't carry any comics with an x at the end of it in some ways you know yeah. it's just really really nice yeah yeah i agree um i'm gonna choose page 68 um which is called um mr natural meets the kid i i really don't know what to make of this one it's just strange i can't in my own mind make it out um you've, you've got a fixation that mr natural has with someone he refers to as a kid but looks like a little fat suited man um that he can't he then tries to destroy and can't and he actually says why can't i get the kid's face out of my mind um and then it becomes almost like um a a a polemic against religion towards the end there there's almost like this well maybe politics or religion where this kid becomes this sort of uh, messiah or demagogue type character towards the end of it and it's i just i don't know what to make of it man i does i find it extremely strange i know i know that um um crumb's brother was fixated by a child actor wasn't he um who was in um was he in um long john silver series or something like that treasure island type series Oh, he was obsessed with Treasure Island, wasn't he? He yeah. was obsessed with the pirates and uh, Jim Hawkins, yeah. That's it, yeah. And I wondered if there's some kind of translation to that. And I know we're going to talk about stuff that is perhaps more obviously um, transgressive and many might say offensive later on. But this one I just found peculiar. I don't know. What did you guys think of this one? Yeah, I, I perhaps found it less... Because to me it was just, oh, it, it's... A, another cartoon character that because that could have been i don't know if there was a newspaper strip or something at the time in 1973 that featured 
a kid, you know, Richie Rich or something. Yeah. You know, a true. kid in a, a, where it's a case of Mr. Natural's, the cartoon character trying to fight against another cartoon character in terms of who has supremacy of just always being there and yeah. just the, the general existence of recognition. Um, he does actually say at one point something attractive and repulsive, which did make me take a pause. Mm. Um, you're right, though. There is an element of like fighting the man in this, isn't there? Yeah, the suited kids who are probably coming up now, and yeah, yeah, I found that one really strange. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't, I just didn't like it. I just sometimes you don't like things, you know, and you can't explain yeah. why. But that one, that one really struck me like that. Um, anything it, else, Al? You wanted to mention? Or? Was it page sixty-seven? Was one okay. of the other ones that I'd written down, which and partially because I'm again, this is no, this must be about nineteen seventy-three. Um, but I had written down, oh, this is the GOP versus the snowflakes. But putting aside the very very last panel but this whole thing you know americans are soft and him coming in and having a big challenge about you know and it it, you know it's very precedent again for 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 now but it's um again this is one of these ones where it's just not for the guardian yeah (laughs) in terms of it's um you know somebody sitting in a in a in a chair with a magazine and it turns out it's a gentleman with a chair in a magazine yeah. um, not even the daily star would print that one no but I, again it, it it just reflected on how the book flips backwards and forwards in terms of being ridiculously simple and but clever so like the page where he, he washes the dishes i yeah. actually love that page but then this page yes I did as well. yeah you know because the, the dishes page perhaps only works as being really interesting because it's so banal versus everything else in the book. It actually makes it, it lifts it. While pages like 67, where the guy's pleasuring himself while, while reading this magazine, is, um, it, yeah, it, it, it's just challenging to read <laughs> and go, what am I trying to get from this? Yeah, yeah. Good. Okay, right. Well, let's t- now tackle the, the, the difficult last section in the book. Um, so there's is it two or three stories that feature Devil Girl um, yes do you remember reading these before Eamon no you, no okay so this was your first no one. I'd only ever seen I think I'd only ever seen the character design in the odd panel but I'd never actually read any Mr Natural strips I don't think before this okay so no so how did you uh, it was a about, bit of a shock yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I know we were we were laughing about that. There's there's certain places you probably wouldn't read this book, and I, I I'm likewise. I don't yeah. think I'd even read one. Of the, I wouldn't read it on the bus. Um, no. So no no BS guys. I will start with you, Eamon. What did you think of it? Well, I mean, if we watch the documentaries, and if you know anything about Crumb, and if you watch, if you look at Crumb's artwork, particularly when it comes to depicting the female form. Yeah you will know what type of women he is attracted to. He is attracted to large, muscular women, particularly with big butts, big legs. I mean, we we joked about this beforehand that, you know, um, he literally likes big butts and he literally cannot lie. Yeah. Um, um, and Devil Girl appears in the sort of, mostly in the second half of this book, Uh she is a classic Crummian woman in terms of her physique. And she is used as an object, both by Mr. Natural and by Flakyfunt, 
Um, they do all sorts of bizarre things to it. As you say, there's probably a sex crime on every page, yeah. if not every panel towards the, the end of this book. Yeah. Um, I mean, I knew, I knew that we were going to get crumb women. I mean, you get them earlier on in the book as well. Yeah. But I didn't realise what was going to start happening to one of the crumb women towards the end of the book. Um, yeah, I mean, as it, I say, every, possibly with because... Turn, of, with every piece turned, you went, it can't go any further than this. <laughs> and then you go, yeah. oh no, yeah. they've gone further than that. It can't go any further than that, though. Oh no, it's gone further again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I think we're, we're getting into the, the area here about, we because we know him, we've seen documentaries on him, affect our view you know that's the that's always you know separating the eyes from the eye isn't it we're actually almost allowing his eccentricities that we've seen on film if we just saw this you know if this was just bought from a table at a convention would we feel different about it what do you think Al? yes and i think there the, i certainly reading this book i was not reading it as a standalone thing you, you are going this is robert you know crumb and it has or he has the career that he has and has everything that comes with it I think if I pick this up off a table, then again, I've bought tribute press books. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> where where you're, you're going, yeah, I don't necessarily know all the background. or you know, And you would go, yeah, okay, this person's trying to express themselves some way. And the, as I say, the, it's almost like he's going, I'm going to keep pushing this until somebody tells me to stop. And okay. nobody's telling him to stop. Um, Do you think he's been fluffed by so many people he thinks it's okay? Um, you know what? A little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, I think there is that, but I think it is that whole. He he also, if in certain interviews, you know, he, he kind of says, "Well, look, it's not that I believe in this. I'm I'm it trying. It's trying to be a pastiche of yeah. you know, of what what we're trying to argue against." Um, though I'm not entirely sure that that comes across off the page particularly well. Um, I mean, he is on record on that. I think I sent you guys the podcast, um, which is by this sort of, he calls himself a shadow psychologist. He's a bit of a full of himself, but Crumb does admit to being sexually stimulated whilst drawing Mr. Natural strips. He doesn't specify which one. Um, yeah, I think I can work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, it, puts, it puts it in a different light for me, I think, reading it. Um. I think I've I've seen a lot of shocking stuff in my life, as I'm sure you both have, but this still sh managed to shock me a little bit, I think. Um, I suppose the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it good comics and is it actually funny? It's clearly meant to be funny, I think. Do you think, do you think it's an intention for humour there? Or not, guys? Am I getting that wrong? I think Robert Crumb thinks it's funny. Yeah. Is is it funny yeah. to you, Eamon? No, okay. not in the slightest. I mean, <laughs> there is there is the potential early on in the book for Mister Natural to be quite an amusing uh, character, saying amusing sort of uh, witty things. I think there's moments of sublime cartooning. I do think yeah. those three pages of like three panel strips of him sitting in the desert are fantastic. I do think that when you come back to the book after the gap between 1973 and 1986, his artwork has levelled up even further and there's yeah. much more detail, much more cross-hatching. But none of this stuff is funny And um, in the second half of the book. And it's like Al said, 
each time I read a page, I thought, well, that's pretty terrible, but they're not going to get any worse. And I turn the page and they do get worse. And what they, the, the, the abuse that they inflict upon Devil Girl, um, uh, just, well, it's just bizarre. It gets yeah. more and more bizarre. I think we and should. I think less we, and less funny. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think we should explain a little bit because people won't know what we're talking about. Otherwise, we're going, oh, this is terrible. They won't, they won't have experienced. So there are a number of sections. So Flaky Foot and uh, Mr. Natural come across in a number of different ways this girl called Devil Girl. Now, she is um, a sort of raven-haired, um, broad shoulders, extremely strong-looking woman, as per the type we talked about earlier that Crumb is, is more than obviously obsessed with. And strangely, she looks very much like Crumb's current wife Aileen Kaminsky Crumb there's um Aileen is, is a sort of slighter version of this lady but there's certainly um visually there's there's a similarity there now in the first story um she sort of sticks her tongue out and they she's the, 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 there's her tongue sticking out is part of the devil girl image they have of her doing it but in that um, Mr Natural hypnotizes her by playing his flute um and gets her to dance um, so you've got the sort of manipulation of the female character in that one. In in the next one, Flaky Foot, who is by this time obsessed with Devil Girl, goes to a flat, and it's one of those sort of typical, probably a bit of a junky flat. He goes round, and there are as soon as he walks in, they're saying, "Have you got any money?" and this sort of thing. And she's very forthright, very aggressive, um, quite scary Devil Girl. But she's hypnotized again, at which point. Um, they sort of start playing with her and it, it ends up with Flaky Funt um, having sex with her with, against her will. Pretty much. Isn't that right? Is that Am I reading that right? Yeah. yeah. No, you're reading that right. Yeah. yeah. So, he has sex with her while she's hypnotised uh, and so non-consensual sex. Yeah, which I think I believe in this country we call rape legally. Yeah. Um, and then Mr Natural, he's a natural man. Um, her head is mounted on a wall. So we've got to the point now where Devil Girl is mounted on a wall um, like a trophy. Um, they start pulling her tongue out and they tie it to her face, at which point she's clearly, it's clearly not just her head. She's got her head stuck through a, wall, through a hole in the wall. And um, Mr. Natural goes behind, na- naked little natural bloke that he is, and has sex with her from behind again, against her will, presumably. Um, so again, you've got a second rape in there. And then the worst, the worst one of all, I don't know what you thought, but the worst one was all is when she's she's a woman without a head so they have her as this sort of the body but no head and which ends up with again flaky front having sex with her um and then mr natural sticking his hand down the hole where the head would have been and pulling out devil girl's head i mean it does end up with her kind of in charge and then running away but it doesn't excuse the actions that have that have happened before so i mean incidentally she's called cheryl bork there we are yeah um so you've got what at least three rapes there, um, so, but to me you've got Crumb writing. There is an there's a, there's an analogous quality to Flaky in relation to Crumb himself at, at moments. Um, his obsession with this woman is in, in relation to the way Crumb was obsessed with what larger women like that. But you've also got the fact that um, Devil Girl um, Cheryl Bork looks like Aileen Kaminsky Crumb to a certain extent, um, and she is she's basically made the most symbolic sex image, you know, sex doll image as you could make when they, they present it without a head. I don't know. I mean, it couldn't be plainer for me, but what do you guys, what about you, Eamon? What do you think he's saying here? He is obsessed with 
large, muscular women who he could do whatever he wanted to without them being conscious or aware, basically. Um, that's what it seems to me. Um, we know, I mean, you know, if anybody hasn't seen Robert Crumb in videos or the movies or the documentaries we talk about, he's a tall, very skinny guy. And one of the things we know he likes is he likes to be lifted up by muscular women. He, he likes piggybacks. Yeah, yeah. He does. And he, um, you know, we might get into this, uh, attractive women who come to see him at signings, he will often ask them for a piggyback. Yeah, to such a point where I um, called our so, WhatsApp group the piggyback group. <laughs> the piggyback group, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is uh, it's clearly one of Robert Crumb's sexual fantasies, and it's down on the page. Like I said, he, he cannot lie. Everything is full disclosure. All his dark stuff is on the comic page, and some of it is very dark indeed uh, and extremely troubling to read. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Al? What's your thoughts on it, man? So I, I think there's a little bit twisty as well because I actually think towards the end he becomes fluty rather than than Mr. Natural, and some yeah. of this is, is there's almost about this concept of saying because fluty starts off by not wanting to be involved, but is egged on, and Mr. Natural makes you know because Mr. Natural does the, the hypnotizing and all that sort of stuff, and it, it's I wonder if there's something in here around. This this whole thing about you know the the ability to of Mr. Natural to able to influence Floaty to say go on do it you know okay. and or you know you know I'm going to give you all the things you want to do and you know you'll you'll get away with it but actually you won't really type type thing and there's there, there's so much of you know, you know and it, there's a thing there about the, the the twist of saying you know recognizing he shouldn't do something but he's got this devil on his shoulder just enabling him to 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 do everything um all of which becomes more as i say more and more bizarre <coughs> in terms of as you see the way that it's presented throughout yeah there are still one or two little gags within it yeah that you know that you can get to so the bottom of page 92 where he's making her do all the dancing for example okay and the 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 like she's entered the final spin cycle i think where she, okay. she's clearly become a washing machine you're like that's funny well, you know, in the context, the, the bottom of page 100, when he's walking out the flat and he finally, you know, he spots the head on the wall. That's a little, you know, it, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm I'm digging hard to try to find any yeah. any gold here. But it, the, you know, the scene, um, you asked us earlier, oh, well, what pages would you, you know, would you like? And I ended up writing two lists, pages that, oh, I, I liked, and then pages that I, I didn't like. And some of them I just said, well, I was like, no. And then I ended up, you're right, you're right hell no. Um, <laughs> in terms of the way that it, just, it gets presented. Um, and it, But I, I do wonder if there's something in there about this whole thing, about again, saying, look, are you, you know, as the reader, are you wanting to say to yourself, I am somebody that can be easily influenced. How do I stop myself from being influenced by whoever the Mr. Natural yeah. is in my, in my so he's, capacity? He's influenced and pushed into doing it. I mean, is, is this, is this a satire of modern society? Is it a satire of objectification? Is it satire? I don't know. Robert Crumb claims it's satire. Yeah. He claims that all of this stuff, uh, you know, the misogyny, the racism, uh, all of that in his comics is obviously satire. And the people who don't 
see that are missing the point. Um, that's what I've heard him say. But he also says that he puts everything, you know, on the page. He, he takes yeah, he whatever's does. in his head. Yeah, and he also and says, I don't, work in, I don't work in conscious messaging. No. Yeah. And he has no filter. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it, is this, is this then satire by accident? Is this, you know, is that, is that what his career is? And he has a, as a style that does lend itself to that interpretation. He could well be seeking to justify what he's, yeah, yeah. I've done this. No, let's try to justify it. Um, and again, from my perspective of, you know, when we're, sometimes when we do these these pods, you're, you you read the book and then you're trying to do the academic bit of thinking about it. Yeah. And there is that whole, yeah, I did, you know, so Carson Taylor, when I read this, did I enjoy it? No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, when you then sit back and try to say, well, can I put a meaning against it? You know, is there one there? And that, again, sometimes I do wonder if we, we overfit. I think you're right, man. And I think the reason we do this is because, and you know, otherwise we'd try and get, you know, creators on and stuff to talk about. But the, the reason mm. I wanted to do this is to talk to fans about it because the reading experience is the, inter you know, that's, this is a mass media thing. The reading experience should be a big part of how we talk about it. You know, I think when I, when I used to read Crumb, originally I would read Crumb in one or two page sections in the anthologies, maybe three or four pages. And I think it's definitely more suited to that. I think reading reading this whole book in one go makes me want to take a shower yeah it really does I, th I find it i find it quite objectionable but i think if i read him in one or two pages in an anthology i'd find it more acceptable does that make sense i don't know yeah you yeah. know that 100 percent. yeah um yeah so my big question would be is is i think the problem is we know him too i mean we've 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 all spent at least two or three weeks watching it you know interviews and documentaries i must have watched 20 hours of this dude been interviewed now and i but i wonder if he's still misunderstood are we misunderstanding him somehow he has uh, my my take on this is that he has constantly argued particularly in recent decades that he has been always been misunderstood and that all of this stuff the terrible uh, sexism misogyny the terrible racial stereotypes which are in this book as well um that he's always been misunderstood and that people have misinterpreted, uh, you know, in a way he sort of wants to have it both ways. He wants to say, well, yes, I've got no secrets. I've got no filter. I have no conscious thought. I just put this stuff on the page. But he also wants us to say, well, obviously he's taking the piss. It's a satire. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he has tried... I think a couple of times in interviews and in collections of sketches, he's tried to rehabilitate his reputation. Yeah. So clearly to a certain degree, his reputation, um, he does care about it. He's tried to sort of improve the way he's perceived, particularly by female comic fans. Um, I've got, as you know, this book, The Sweeter Side of R. Crumb, a collection of his sketches, which is supposed yeah. to rehabilitate his reputation and fails, you know, spoilers, <laughs> fails yeah. to do so, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think I think he, he thinks it's all misunderstood. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen him say um, there's um, a there was a 2019 exhibition called Mind Fucks, Culture Clashes, Pulp, Pulp Fiction and Pulp Fact. And Crumb, um, during that, an interview for that, he said he stopped drawing women. I'm no longer a slave to my raging libido. 
Um, and he says, yes, I'm guilty of looking at women as sex objects. But previous to that, he said, no, you're not getting it right. This is all satire. We can't have both to me. You know, um, it is. It, I, mean, the, I think the Guardian called him the pervert in chief. Yeah, um, I think is the phrase they use of him. I some of this is the interesting thing, though. You know, the fact that he's able to, or he's become the darling of the art crowd. He's mm. had various art gallery displays. I mean, he's, that's where he made his. The only place he ever made any money, according to him, was when he started you know, selling his original art, didn't he? You know, and you know, he, he he does get called out in the Guardian. He does, you know, get recognised as being, you know, one of the the founding fathers, and that. But still gets, but is considered to be artistic in yeah. in terms of the. Um, the, the Greece and Perry Art Club type um, type group, <laughs> yeah, and it's and I that that I don't get because that's where I'm like going, is that they're they're just looking at certain pieces and actually trying to, they're you know that's where he's going. Oh, I, I can sell it to them as satire, and that's how I you know I can become the darling of the of that group by by wanting to do so, because that then breaks away from the whole original concept of being underground and being. Yeah off mainstream you know because if you're if you become part of that art crowd you are becoming part of the mainstream so what what are you trying to achieve with your art in terms of in terms of that piece um and that, that's you know maybe that's just you know your youthful exuberance of what he was in the 1960s versus the need to pay bills in in the current day and age um but I, I think there is a lot of dichotomy there in terms of what he tries to sell himself as, and therefore it's I will tell the story of what I need to tell to the people that I'm, I'm dealing with at that point in time. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that plays into what Eamon was talking about in regards to his self rehabilitation, or you know, his apparent yeah. public, you know, trying to make himself look a bit better by pretending he's been rehabilitated. And I think that I think that definitely is the case. But I think occasionally you get stuff creeping out. I think um, the the interview we listened to with the the psychologist this week, um, there's, I mean, that was only done last year. And there's just every so often he, there's a he's, he seems vaguely disinterested in most interviews, but every time the psychologist mentions female sexuality, he spikes again. He's excited about it, you know. And I think in a lot of interviews I've heard of him, there is almost like. Um, and in an intent in some way, whether it's valid or not, or genuine or not, to become almost, I suppose the term would be right on. Um, who's the um, environmental um, activist he speaks of, Eamon? Um, Greta Thunberg. Yeah, he seems to, we were quite surprised. He seems to be quite behind Greta Thunberg, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why I would have suggested he probably wasn't. But then I, I so fully expected him to be against her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was watching an interview with him from a couple of years ago at... Um, I think it was 2016 at an India comic convention, believe it or not. And he said that he has a theory that AIDS is some kind of fraud. And I'm like, what? occasionally, I mean, he's not a young dude, so I can't imagine, you know, everything is particularly organised in his, you know, LSD brain. But occasionally there's a there's a little, little chink in the armour and I see through and I, I see him occasionally for what I think he is. Um, he's a COVID denier as well. Yes, right. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, know he's that. an anti-vaxxer, COVID denier. He's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Um, it, it's the Greta Thunberg one because she actually could look like some of his characters. God, oh. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. If you think about it, you know, she often. I'm not wishing to 
through <laughs> her in the character assassination but you know she's often wearing big thick jumpers and stuff so that makes her look bulkier than perhaps she actually is and stuff well there is a, there is a certain that, hippie um, element to her isn't there you know i suppose yeah. the you know that um enviro you know living off the land you know and not you know not big business thing that might appeal to him maybe maybe that's me being over generous but yeah possibly um I think the sexism thing is a thing. I think I don't think he he's often not denied it. Um, the you know just treating women as sexual objects appears in his comics, whether satire or not. But I think the other thing that we haven't really spoken about is the um, the racist stereotypes. Um, um, is that racism, guys, or is that satire? Page thirty nine. Page thirty nine. It's in this one as well, isn't it? But um, mm. Angel Food McSpade yes. is, um, is is the obvious one. Um, Angel Food McSpade is one of his most sort of like racist, uh, stereotypical racist characters. In here, as I say, in this um, pages 37, 38, 39, this story, Mr. Natural and Schumann, Schumann, he does some terrible racial stereotyping of African-American characters. Now, we've all seen his beautiful sketches of his heroes of blues and jazz, who he clearly worships and adores so we know he doesn't need to do this but there it is in his comics these terrible racial stereotypes um yeah again he's going to claim that this well in fact he has claimed in interviews several times that this is so obviously satire that he doesn't understand why people don't get that um yeah, but it looks terrible, guys. It, it's it does not just terrible. the way he draws them; it's the way he actually presents the story of these these characters, which is really bad. You know, it, it's yeah. the speech patterns and everything. Yeah, is it that exaggerated that we could give him the benefit of the doubt around it? I don't know. What do you think? It's a little bit Tom and Jerry, um, the Mead in, in Tom and Jerry, I suppose, yeah. but. And this was still, well, yeah. Like you, we're, we're trying to give somebody excuses for for something that's inexcusable. So it, it, it's, it, I I don't think it comes across. It, it's one of these ones, right? You might well be writing satire, but if the reader doesn't get that, yeah, then you failed, right? It yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter whether, which means that you're you're you know, he, he he's either writing satire very very badly, or it's not satire. Yeah, I'm. I, and other comic creators have done this. Will Eisner has done it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he has the most famous comic book awards named after him. Tony, you and I went to the Beano exhibition, and issue one of the Beano had a terrible racial stereotype on the front cover. Right. Um, it, you know, it, it happens in comic books, but it shouldn't do. It was wrong when the Beano did it. I think it was wrong when Robert Crumb did it in the late 60s. Um I don't buy the satire thing. Uh, I don't understand it myself. But yeah. okay, well, I was gonna, I was gonna just slightly play devil's advocate and, and try and put myself in the shoes of the place he was making this at the time. So he yeah. was making it in, you know, you know, you know, the you know communist revolutionary hippiedom, you know, um, where the people who were buying this comic would go, you know, far out, man, look at that, you know, fight the man. I think there's a certain yeah. element of that in in the the comics with an X at them, the underground comics of the '60s, as you and Al have both said. Some of it was just, you know, show us the rules, we're going to break break them. Whatever rules you've got, yeah, we'll do the exact, you know, we'll break those rules. 
So is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it violence? Is, is it racial stereotyping? Anything you say we can't do because of your comics code authority, man, we will do the exact opposite. Yeah. So yes, there is, you know, there is that defense, I guess. They were clearly just out to shock and um, push things as far as they could. Yeah, and probably off their nut on uh, brown acid or something. You know, exactly. So. They were also, <laughs> yeah. also incredibly stoned. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you know, we we do hear about some people, lots of people who took LSD and, you know, had trips and they were fine. And some people had taken LSD and it seems to change their life. And it does seem to have had that effect on Robert Crumb or certainly, as you say, um, Tony, he's spoken about it so many times. So yeah. it seems to have had this life-changing effect on him, doesn't it? It yeah. blew his mind, and it's never been the same since. And it, his own it admission blew the doors off. Yeah, and his own admission, he did have good and bad trips, you know. Yeah. So who's to say he wasn't in the middle of a bad trip? And, he, I mean, people get flashbacks decades later, don't they, on LSD and stuff. Um, don't do drugs, kids. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I playing devil's advocate in the opposite direction, I wonder if we are just the victims of some long-term con job for someone whose work is you know in certain circles so incredibly revered by comic creators and you know academics and stuff i don't i'm not convinced by the man um you know if you if you you know if you th- you happen to think martin amos is a great novelist when you hear him talk he's an erudite intelligent guy you know if you, you if you think that um spiegelman is a you know, a great comic creator, which he is, you know, you hear him talk and he speaks some great sense. But I don't get that from Crumb. I don't at all. Al made a good point about this on the on the, uh, the WhatsApp group about mm. being, you know, can you be the underground creator, Al? Yeah. And that, that yeah, that's what I'm saying about this. When when you end up being part of the art crowd, it really doesn't, doesn't fit. But yeah. I, I do wonder at times with some of his interviews and stuff, early on I was like, is this just him playing a character yeah for the camera but i became less or if 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 he is he's held character for a long time in front of every single camera um no i just i just think that he is one of these people where you kind of go you know what you did something that that did help change the industry and you know you pushed boundaries which you know made open doors with regard to other books and, and the like there are you know therefore you you know he you deserve recognition for being somebody who who did that and the man can draw yeah you know we have yeah. to you have to you have to take that um you then just have to go right just because you're important and just because you can produce good quality work doesn't mean i need to like it and that's where i think i end up landing with a lot of his stuff where i kind of go it's very nice to, or it's very, very high quality, but I don't like it. Yeah. And that that's where I think he, he's now, he, there, I also wonder if for some of the people who are again, I'm seriously now having to dig at the art crowd, stroke guardian crowd, but <laughs> there's people who go, oh, I've been told he's the godfather of underground comics. I've been told that this is, the influential alternative comics therefore i will just be seen to be seen you know it's you know sometimes these things get a momentum behind them of going 
Yeah, there was loads of other books out there, by the way, at the same time producing similar quality yeah. work. But because this is the name that everybody recognises, this is the name that everybody's going to remember and talk about. Yeah, yeah, I think there's an element um, of that. And there's an element that you see in comics these days still. You know, people go well, on and on and on about certain comics and you, all three of us are going, hang on a minute, haven't you seen this? You know. Um, hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. I, I have to say, I think we we uh, just to give the benefit of the doubt a bit to Crumb. I think the th- the three points I'd like to mention at the end here, and perhaps we can discuss them. Is uh, I think they're all they're all related. Is one he can draw. He's got a very um, not likable but readable style. He is a big part of comics history. Um, no matter what anything against anything we've said today, he, he is still the person who started Zap, the person who started Weirdo. You know the other stuff that got done. And the those anthologies did push the medium forward and in a different direction. That, would you agree that he, he has earned his sort of position in history at all? Eamon, what do you think? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go his, on now. Yeah, yeah. He, hmm. Well, his sketches are beautiful. I mean, yeah. his sketches from France, where he now lives, and his sketches of forests and street scenes and random people he sees on the street and also his blues and jazz musicians are just absolutely gorgeous. They're so, so the engaging, of, aren't they? Yeah, they're yeah. so wonderful. And these cross-hatching and this, you know, the depth he gets into them, they're the sort of sketches we'd all love to have in our own sketchbooks that we were able to do. Yeah. He, he's also, to your second point, he is a major figure in world comics history. And as such, you just, you, you know, if you're going to study comics at all, you have to study Robert Crumb at some point. But, you know, as I said in our notes, there are, in all art forms, you are going to find dodgy men with major reputations. And I'm, I'm going to say it's mostly the men. You know, yeah. in, if you study film, you're going to have to study Hitchcock and Polanski. Polanski yeah. 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 Exactly. Even though we know that they, they were quite reprehensible or, you know, still are reprehensible human beings. Yeah. Um, and Crumb is that. He's this major figure who changed the industry whose artwork changes hands for huge sums now. You've got to study him. I just don't, you know, personally, I don't have to like him or some of, you know, I don't have to like Mr. Natural, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think certainly is 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 latter stuff. And you can find that in floppies. They do stick the odd thing out, don't they, of, you know, the sketches and you you can find them. Is, is, Is beautiful, engaging and, you know, yeah, but I th- yeah. I think some of this, some of this other stuff. There, there's the famous one about the incestuous family, isn't there? That that um, there was the. Um, didn't he get involved in the Oz trial yes. as well? I think um, he yeah. did. Yeah, an obscenity trial. That's right. I mean, yes, there is all sorts of stuff in the comics of Robert Crumb. Every, you know, every ism is going to be uh, demonstrating the comics of Robert Crumb. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, what do you think um, yeah. about his place in history, Al? Is that something you consider? No, I, I, I completely agree with 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 him in there, and yeah. that, it, you, know, you there are certain names when you you write down the comic history family tree, if you like, that you have to say, stop and look, um, and it's it's not always about what they did, it's but it's about the doors that they opened, yeah, and it's the doors that he's opened as a result of the the underground work from the sixties and the early seventies. And what that led to in terms of saying, right, you can do things that, in a in a Western basis, you know, you can do comics that are not spandex based that that can actually shift the dial in certain ways. You can do comics that make people think about how, you know, 
the 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 pages that Eamon called out about you know the sitting and meditating while the world goes yeah to pot around you um that you know you, you can do those things and be you know make comics as an actual art form that people can analyze and assess and say this means something to me it then however he's then gone right i'm going to just keep pushing those boundaries because of whatever his beliefs are or his attempts to do satire that just don't just don't necessarily fit in terms of where we end up you know it's one of these ones where if you turn around and said right take crumb literally from 65 to 75 yeah and stop that you you, you he, he he made his place in comics history probably over that 10-year period yeah everything after that is kind of you know it, uh, yes his artwork improved and his style improved but it probably didn't change comics post that period he changed comics 65 to 75 yeah i think so yeah that that's where he has his place I have to say, um, I'm doing an anthology at the moment. Eamon's editing one. Al, you've been in many. If someone came to me and said, "Oh, you know, I've got this strip. This is my style. You know, can I can I draw something?" I'd bite his hand off. You know, if it was you know modern day crumb. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But if he then gave me the, the script and the content, I'd say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think we. Yeah, yeah. DUI two Devil Girls not making it in there. I've got to tell it's you, it's not going to make the cut. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. Right, there, there goes my ideas and plans. <laughs> oh, sorry, it was, Al. It was it was my head mounted on a wall in your new strip, Al. I know that. <laughs> That's great, guys. That's brilliant. I, I think the thing is with Crum is there's so much to read about him. I mean, there's books and books and books and books written on him. There's YouTube videos and documentaries and you name it. And there's there's actually so much material that you actually have people who are just specialists in Crum. You know, looking out finding bits and pieces that he's drawn here and there that even he can't remember, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think just covering that one book I helped. So it's, it's nice to get, um, like we say there, a, a fan's reaction to it, you know, and then we are fans of comics and we're certainly fans of perhaps his line work and, you know, we we have enjoyed the odd thing by him. But, yeah, there are problems there and that, I, that stop us enjoying it, put it that way. Um, but, yeah, thanks for that. That's really good. Um yeah, that's been long. We've been planning this one for about a month and a half, and I know we've been messaging, but uh, yeah, it turned out right. Thanks, guys. Put a lot of work in. We've done a lot of research into we have. Yeah, we <laughs> have. Read a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like these roundtable things. I think we'll do this again some, at some point. I have got a, a suggestion for you both at the end of this one. Oh, but, right, uh, okay. We'll see what happens. But um, um, So let's get on to the guests. Uh, I'll start with you, man. What's, uh, what's bubbling with your stuff, dude? Um, so obviously, Penguin continues on its 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 daily jaunt um, mm-hmm. and keeps going ahead. And this was the other thing I should always keep promoting at the moment is that comic smell uh, issue two, which um, came out have about it, a month ago. I have ago it just now. here. Yep, very cool. Um, Lovely idea, man. Doing uh, a whole story with one line. I did like that. That's because I was trying to be the king of the one line. I know, for, yeah, for the pains going. Yeah. You see. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, yeah. So that it's an anthology that was came out from the from the guys in Dundee that uh, listeners that comic smell dot There you go. Yeah, you can get it. So um, that that's probably the other thing I should be promoting at the moment. Good stuff, man. And um, how how close are we to the next Kickstarter? Um, 
oh, at least at least three months. Um, uh, at least three months. Like, that is a long time. <laughs> well, probably yeah. means next week. For yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, we, we, it's, it's, I'm about two thirds of the way through putting the next book together. Good um, stuff. One or two things have slowed down because I, I had the vid and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you feeling now? Are you feeling better? Yeah, no, I, I got away very, very lightly oh, um, compared to to some people. So no, I was fine. Good stuff. Um, now speaking of uh, the uh, the the comics guru, Eamon is now our editor. Hey. Yeah. So did you want to <laughs> did you want to mention that a little bit, man? Or well, there is going to be a drawn under the influence issue two, hopefully coming out later this year, an anthology comic from the uh, awesome comics podcast drink can draw community and i have put my hand up uh, to edit it sarah harris edited the first one i'm going to do the second issue yeah. and we are taking submissions we are oversubscribed but if you want to pitch me something short and sweet in the next sort of week or so after this podcast comes out then get in touch and uh, so we'll total consider it meritocracy um, isn't it yes. if it's good it'll get in yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how it works yeah yeah you're a brave man uh, so yeah, yeah i'm, I'm I'm trying my hand at editing. It's um, I'm already learning that it's uh, you know a big ask. Um, You're very organised, yeah. I have to say. Well, I, have I will sort, see. I have sort of post-it notes stuck around my computer, but you have <laughs> you you shared a Dropbox with me and all sorts. It's uh, and every so often, every time I turn my computer on, it says, "Eamon Clark has changed four items in the Dropbox." Go, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> Exciting. Reorganising stuff. But yeah, so that will happen hopefully uh, DUI 2 later this year and it will be raising money for charity. It's going to be, Sarah made the call that the editor could choose yeah. the charity. So she did it for Refuge last year. I'm doing it for cancer research uh, this year. Um, I mean, you know, we've had George Perez, who's obviously uh, dealing with cancer at the moment. We've had the chap from Gosh and... Um, Stephen, yeah. Yeah, Stephen, that's right. And, yeah, and, and obviously our good friend Helena, who's um, uh, uh, yeah, our good friend H as well, going through her own journey with it. So yeah, that's what we're doing: a cancer research charity anthology comic, and it will be out later this year. Look for it in um, all good news at the autumn conventions. Yeah, yes, yeah, good stuff, man. And what what can we expect on the next few mega cities? What have you got coming up? Can you give us any any teases? Uh, yeah, this Sunday is Portrait of a Mutant, uh, oh, okay. talking about, you know, comics that changed uh, the British comics industry. Uh, so Strontium Dog, Portrait of a Mutant with Dave Wynn. Coming up after that, I'm interviewing Steve Tanner, who you recently had on the ACP, talking about his new Spectrum Jerry Anderson yeah, comics, which exciting. is kickstarting at the moment and is doing mega things on Kickstarter. Um, and then hopefully after that, we'll have some more Rogue Trooper. We'll have uh, Outcasts, that comic that uh, Cam Kennedy and... I'm glad um, you're doing that. I really like that John... series. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. coming up very soon. So, yeah, we've got stuff coming up every two weeks on the Mega City Book Club, megacitybookclub.com, or email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's the email for DUI2 as well. Cool. Nice one, man. And um, you must be a fan of Outcasts, Al. I can imagine that's in your... You're a DC fan. It was a DC book, then, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, I like that series. That was a bit of a strange one. It's like having a 2000 AD comic in a monthly American in comic, DC. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And where can we find you, Al? Where can we find you online, babes? Look for me. Just search for at Penguin on any form of social media, and you'll find your daily dose of penguin puns. 
good stuff and all the links will be in the show notes for this show um thanks to everyone who um including you two guys who supported myself and adam and daryl and all the others on our patreon um which has now come to the end after we were cruelly murdered by mr cumber um thoughts and prayers thanks a lot and thanks to posy simmons for writing a lovely intro to the um the fanzine that we did as well it's very kind of her yeah no filter on her either yeah i know what's that (laughs) (laughs) good old cat slater made an appearance too good thanks guys and um we'll have a crafty chat after this but thanks for that really appreciate it it's uh it's a really good chat a tough subject but an important one i think so indeed yeah cheers guys (laughs) 